This is a Young Farmer Business Program podcast. And then the second paddock, we'll have the fertiliser ready to go, so if it does rain a lot, we can put the second paddock in. And are we going to put it in the trucks? Yeah. I'm on a farm between Narrabri and Weewall on the northwest slopes of New South Wales, and I'm here with Sarah Kennedy and her dad, Peter Leach. We have irrigation and dryland farms that grow wheat, chickpeas, cotton, sorghum, and occasionally some other opportunity crops, but fundamentally those crops. In this episode of Propagate, we're going to hear the Leach family succession story and learn why it's never too early to start. Sarah is 36. She's the oldest of three daughters. And back when she and her sisters were all at high school, her mum, Margot, heard about a local workshop on succession planning and dragged Peter along. Succession planning wasn't really a thing he'd heard about. Things were a bit different when he started out on the farm. Talking about succession planning, that wasn't even a word invented back in the 70s. My father died when I was young, so I was left in the trusts and uh, my brother was here for a while. Uh, so it was, a, it was a family farm, but... It wasn't run by any, anyone directly for quite a few years. Without his parents around, it was Peter's uncle who mentored and guided him through what was essentially his first succession experience. You get lucky breaks in your life where you get people who, uh, who help you. My mother's brothers, my uncle, got involved, but he actually encouraged my sister and I to buy my brother out, which I did. Then he advised me or encouraged me to buy my sister out. I said, why would I buy my sister out? Everything's going well, she doesn't require much. He said, all I can tell you is it won't get any easier. So the value went up over the years. So I did that and it's just evolved from there. Fast forward a couple of decades and Margot and Peter found themselves at a workshop hosted by Isabel Knight, the succession planner you should remember from episode one. Margot was keen to get their own succession plan in action, but Peter wasn't convinced at first. And I said, oh, well, why, why do you want to look at succession plan? The kids were still at school or just leaving school, might have been one at university. And it wasn't. My idea was to start when the children got married and when there was a reason to do it. There was no reason to do it. But Isabel was pretty convincing. And she made a very good point at the meeting we went to. She said, it's never too early to start. It's never too early to start. Peter's uncle and mentor was also encouraging. And the uncle I was talking about earlier, he was the one who encouraged all the girls to start getting involved. And they're not, they're not too young. And a lot of their answers were when we put things to them, the girls, they said, oh, you and, you, and, you and mum decide. And he said, you've got to stop that. If they're going to be the beneficiaries of this, they should get more involved. Peter and Margot were challenged to start thinking about their long-term goals, questioning who the business would be passed down to and how it would all happen. They started to lay out the nuts and bolts of their succession plan. The girls were involved from the get-go, but it did take some time to get their heads around it all. wasn't on my radar. And I don't think my sisters either. We were quite young. At this stage, Sarah and her sister were only teenagers, but Isabel was there to guide them through it. We had a meeting, all five of us, my three sisters and my parents. So we were in a conference room and the five of us, we had to do a fair bit of work before it. You had to um, give a bit of information about you and your life. The succession plan of the business as well was important for, for our family because it involved family and Dad and I working together. It was clear that Sarah, the eldest daughter, would be the one to come home and work with Peter. 
But Isabel helped them work out how this would actually happen. I think at the time I was very inexperienced, so that was a big part of it. Dad was involved in the business and still is, so how he would teach me and the other people that were employed in the business, you know, how I would fit into that without, you know, upsetting other employees and where my career progression in the business would be. These meetings involved hearing everyone's wishes for the business. This included Margot and Sarah's two younger sisters. It was important to voice what they all wanted. It was really lovely, the three sisters. We all just wanted to look after mum and dad. We'd had great parents, so that was fundamentally what we wanted was mum and dad to do what they wanted. And luckily for me, part of what they wanted to do was involve me and my sisters in the business so we could develop a plan to go forward from there. Putting the family wishes front and centre set the tone from that point on. You know, I really love my family and I've had such a fortunate family situation that I want to make sure that's passed on. My sisters were the same. We all had to write um, a list of things that were important and family and love and all those um, nice things and profit and efficiency that we all pretty much wrote the same thing. So we all had a a rough understanding of what we wanted 12 years ago <laughs> for our life um, and and for our parents and the business that they created. And then from there, the external company took all that on board. Working with Isabel and Proactive, the family started to form a plan. Our succession planning here has been evolving probably over the last 15 years. A succession plan is always evolving, which is kind of important because as family members grow older, their priorities change. When they started all those years ago, Sarah was still at school and Peter was still very active on the farm, building the place up and expanding the business. And today, they have five farms between Weewar and Narrabri and lease out five other properties in the area. These are all principally irrigation and dryland farming. Dad worked really hard. That's what I remember a lot. He was always working and mum looked after us beautifully. So we just had a really very fortunate life. Sarah and her sisters all went to boarding school, but Sarah always longed for home. Dad said, I always wanted to come home. I was always the home body, got really homesick. She knew she'd come back, but her parents were adamant that she had to do other things before she came back to the farm. So she stayed in Sydney and enrolled at uni. I went to university and enrolled in an ag economics degree because I didn't really know what I was going to do. Sarah was a bit of a reluctant student and was champing at the bit to get home. I remember sitting down with Dad one day and said, could I come home or how could I come home? And he said, oh, you have to finish your degree. So I did that and then I went travelling overseas and I came home from the travelling homesick. I don't really like going very far away. I just felt you feel sick, feel sick in your stomach. And you can't explain it to anyone unless you understand. It just makes you so sad. came home and I've never left. So, at age 24, Sarah began working on the farm. Working for her dad, there was a lot to learn, and Peter had high standards, but there was never any pressure to stay. Don't do it because you're going to please mum and dad. Do it because you really want to do it. And if you do, do it well. Don't half do it. If you're not going to do it well, don't do it. Those first few years were a steep learning curve for Sarah. Sarah was far from perfect. Wasn't dotting and crossing as well as I would have liked. You know, when you're young and you start a job, you're really excited and you've got lots of ideas. But most of the time they got shut down. And Dad 
would be like, oh, yep, that's a, yeah, that's a good idea, but I'll show you a better way. I literally had no ideas that were good <laughs> ever. Probably was just more overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that I had to learn and the bookwork side of the business mum had done, so I was trying to take that off her hands a little bit. Peter and Margot, after years on the farm, were good mentors, and Sarah took their advice. Farming-wise, I was lucky enough to have someone that did it really well before me, so I, I didn't want to change much. I wanted to learn. But that's not to say it wasn't hard working for mum and dad. There's always a challenge of working with family. You know, there's a patriarch who's done something their way for 40 years and then you get a daughter who comes home and sort of throws a few spanners in and says, well, this is what I think we should do. So there's those challenges. For a while there, I was a bit like, oh, God, I, literally, I cannot contribute. But I think being here and the support I realised was better than reinventing the wheel. Over time, Sarah and Peter found their flow and Peter was impressed. And she must have woken up one day and said, this thing's going to work. But she started dotting and crossing everything. So now when I ring Sarah, have you rung, rung John? Yeah, I've rung John and I've also organised the other bloke. When beforehand I used to say, have you rung John? Oh, no, I was too busy. But now John's been rung and the bloke is going to help John. He's been rung too and he's made sure he's there. So that's the biggest change I've seen. And she's, she, in the last three or four years, has um, taken all that responsibility and uh, care. And I did say something earlier, if you're going to do it, do it well. And she does it well. I just loved what I did and I loved working with my dad and learning. So I had so much to learn, I still do. Even though Sarah is the most active daughter in terms of running the farm, her sisters are still involved. This was really important to Peter and Margot in their succession planning. Early on, Isabel Knight helped the family set up structures around the business. An important part of this was establishing the board. We had a fair few meetings over the years and it evolved into us developing a board, a family board, and we have constitution, uh, rules and uh, code of conduct, all those things um, that normal boards have. It's all formal, but it's all still family orientated, but professional enough that we um, have to stick to those constitutions and the code of conduct, which is really important. Developing a board like this can really help a family separate the business from the family. It also helps define everyone's role within the business. We're all equal part of it, but no one actually has anything. Like, I still just work for the business. My sisters are just board members. Sarah's sisters didn't express an interest in coming home to the family farm, at least not in the same way that Sarah did. They both like the land, but not in the capacity, the job that I had chosen being a farmer. They're both definitely involved in farming business. I'm really lucky to have one of them close by and we both have small families together, so that's really nice. They're both great support for me in the business and that's how we set up our succession plan that we're all involved. The structures they've put in place help keep them on track and define the business workflow. So I work for the company, but I am a board member as well and I report to the board as the manager of the business and any major decision has to be at least four of us on board. Structurally on farm, I'm the general manager or what I don't like to call myself that, but I'm the one that the decisions come back to. 
Having all family members on the board has allowed everyone to have a say in the business, and the constitution helps maintain respect and protect family relationships. But I work alongside Dad. He would have no title if you had to put it on paper, but he's an advisor, farmhand, father, you know, so I really would never do anything without him and Mum. Peter still visits the farm most days. He'll check in and ask Sarah if she needs him to do anything, and if not, he'll tinker about fixing up fences or hanging out with his grandkids. Working with family can be tough, but this setup has allowed for Sarah to make decisions for the business, but also consult the family when she needs and wants to. A lot of farms like ours are just little businesses making mistakes the whole way through and learning, and, you know, I'll ring one of them about sort of HR or... The other one I might just run a quick marketing idea by or um, and then just general support because you're working with your parents. I can say, what do you think about this? And that's where it's really great to have those siblings, which are family, but also I can ask them about business stuff too and they're quite sound on that. Siblings can also understand things that other business partners might not. Ultimately, my boss is my dad. It is good to have an external or two external siblings that can see very clearly from the outside. Working with Isabel from Proactive as a facilitator, who is not family, has been helpful. The experience for us using someone external has been great because you, you have that person that can listen to all of you and they have no vested interest in any one particular view. An outsider can also bring a level of knowledge and insight that can really help. If you don't know a lot about a particular topic, then how can you be informed about the decisions that you're going to make? So and that's why I, we really enjoy the, the company that we use because they have so much knowledge from hundreds, I assume, hundreds of other families with much more complex, much less complex, more kids, less kids. I do love when we a challenge faces us and they're able to say, well, here are a few examples of what other families have done in that scenario. And we were really lucky they this company fitted for our family. They It's a really positive step. It costs a bit of money, but it's... I don't think you can put a price on being able to sit down at a table with your family after all these tricky conversations. And when family are involved in the business, tricky conversations are par for the course. I don't think you, we would have got through and some of them without that external help because the facilitator that we use or the company that we use um, has this amazing ability to see everyone's point of view, bring everyone back into the same room and work through it. When you hear people like Sarah talk about how even the hard stuff with succession planning can end up being a positive, you wonder why so many families still avoid it. It's such a funny topic. When you talk about it generally with your contemporaries, Everyone's got a different view on it. Some good, some bad, some don't want to talk about it. Some do, like everything with family and business, sort of personal, so what, whatever suits them. It's definitely personal, but it's also the unknown aspects of these conversations that can put some people off. I think there's so many parts of it that are challenging, like there's the financial part, the family part, and if all those are really complicated... I can imagine why that would be something you don't want to talk about. But it's like anything in life, I, I think the hard things, if they get pushed down, they just get worse. 
Unlike when they started their succession planning, Sarah and her sisters now have family and kids of their own, so they're entering into another stage of planning for the future of the family business. The next phase of succession planning, particularly in our family, it will continue on um, to be something that develops. Having children really makes you think about that. I have to think about it because I've been involved in it with my parents, so it definitely makes you work harder and longer. Whenever opportunities present themselves, part of it is definitely thinking, well, there's not just five of us anymore. There's, you know, there's 15 or 20 of us now. We've got to think about if they want the opportunity that we were provided, then um, we've got a bit of work to do (laughs) to open that up. And that's what I think is so key with succession planning because you start it for us 12 or 13 years ago and, and everything has changed tenfold since then you know, marriage, children, and we still use the external company to, you know, develop the succession plan as it evolves. So a succession plan isn't a magic wand. It's a continuous conversation that will change as a family grows and priorities change. But I think it's important you can't start too early because you get the structure and when something does go wrong and it will always go wrong and there's, there's nothing perfect in life, and if it is, I haven't found it. Good having the structure and, and, and everyone knows vaguely where they're heading and if something goes wrong. The, the girls have enough confidence in themselves. They're aware of what they should do and should not do and if they want to do it, they know the consequences already. For Peter, handing the farm on to the next generation is also a time for reflection. I look back and now and again you wonder if it's worthwhile, the hours and the time and the frustration and the floods and whatever else goes on. But it's been one of the most satisfying times of my life, having a daughter directly involved in the business. And uh, it's just a nice thing to come out here when everything's running reasonably well. It's very satisfying, yeah. I'm really lucky that he loves it and has involved me and has set up a, a plan. For the Leach family, starting their succession planning early helped create clear boundaries and good communication. Engaging a professional paid off and help them build the structures they needed, such as a board. It was also a positive opportunity for the older generation to mentor the next generation into the business. But it's not always that easy. In the next episode of Propagate, we're going to hear from another family who thought they were on the same page with their succession plan. But then things got a bit off track. You know, that's where the you know cracks were starting to form because we would leave the meetings and, you know, that awful feeling of, you know, you're not being heard. It's like frustration and disappointment is, you know, I guess the main emotions that we were feeling at that time. Propagate is brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. You can listen to all the episodes of the podcast at the Young Farmer Business Program website or find us in your favourite podcast player. Remember to hit subscribe and cheers for listening.